Any questions or comments about meditation before we start? You're all good? Questions? No? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two different sessions is like, I mean, if you can do two sessions, the best. In my experience, 10 minutes keeps, keeps the ego soft enough if you do it on a daily level. You're kind of skipping about more, but definitely 20 minutes is. And the other thing is how deep are you dropping? So those your 10 minutes, can you sit and just immediately ground in? Or are you jumping around? For a lot of people, I used to um, brain map people with biofeedback years ago. So basically what you do is you observe people's brain waves and you can tell if you're meditating or not. It was amazing how many people who were regular meditators were not meditating. So you get a very specific sound, you put these little clips on people's heads and they weren't meditating. So if you have a couple of techniques can take you in immediately regardless of your anxiety level, 10 minutes is amazing. If you sort of have one day you do a little visualization, which I actually don't think is real meditation, it's a different thing, but people do that. If you have a mantra that drops you right away into it, um, that's dependent too. Amazing. See, there's a whole, for those of you who are probably in the whole battle, there's like the whole mindfulness versus TM, Republicans versus Democrats. So TM basically is a mantra-based meditation. The beauty of it is if you're really anxious, you're really busy, you can actually sit down and the mantra forces you in. And on a daily level, that actually leads into the rest of the day. I would say the weakness of it as opposed to mindfulness is mindfulness you can do all the time. Right? So there was noises here. So if you're doing a mantra, the noises could pull you out. But if you're doing mindfulness, like if I'm being mindful right now, I can feel the fan on my head. Something that might otherwise be an unconscious distraction becomes a useful tool to pull me in. The car sounds, the door opening and closing. So there's no right or wrong. I mean, try either and see what helps you most. I think both is great. If you can have like a regular mantra practice, if you're very busy in your head, or a very anxious person, it's hard to do mindfulness right off the bat. So not a right or wrong. Slip that one. What else? Um, is your throat and tongue generally supposed to be relaxed Great question. So this is not a meditation thing, it's a martial arts thing, but I've talked about it in here before. So one of the things some of you are doing well, some of you are going in and out. When your neck juts out, which pretty much everybody in our culture does, that's anxiety. You're actually sticking your neck out, as we say. That will actually bring a lot of tension. The trick is that whole Alexander thing or martial arts thing, like some people really have great postures, you're lifting from back here, right? The second thing that's a Chinese martial arts trick, if you keep your tongue on a roof of your mouth, behind the top two teeth, that connects the main yin meridian with the main yang meridian, that's very calming to the nervous system. So just try that. Just put it anywhere up there. Naturally, the tongue tends to stay there unless you're very anxious, at which point it'll move a lot or get pushed down. And then when you lift back here in the skull, the throat tends to open. Um, with stress, you ever notice when you get stressed, your voice can crack and goes up? Your voice actually tightens. So sign of a usual good meditation is your throat actually opens up. Then you know your nervous system actually relaxed. 
So if your mind relaxes, your nervous system relaxes. These two kind of connect. So if your voice is getting deeper after meditation, that's usually a good sign to, to answer your question. But we tend to tighten here as a form of stress. Plump pit throat, the Chinese call it, as if you have a plump pit throat, plump pit stuck in your throat. Questions? Answers? Bastard. So, stepping out of thinking. Meditation, in my definition, everybody has their definition, is stepping out of thinking. Right? Stepping on the other side of thinking. But we are so bombarded by stimuli, right? It's like we never stop. So what's interesting is the level of people's anxiety. So my experience, when I, this was like 30 years ago when I used to brain map people, do them by feedback. People weren't meditating then. I haven't actually brain mapped people in the last 25 years. I would love to do that now. I guarantee you it's so fucked up. Because people don't stop. And we're going to talk about it tonight. The anxiety level is so high for us that we actually don't stop. So to me, when you say you meditate 10 minutes a day, can one really shut that down? And then there's a whole other level of meditation is that, you know, all this Wi-Fi, all these electronics, that stuff actually is affecting your nervous system. It's very difficult to totally drop down. You know, I live half the time, well, used to have a house before somebody burnt it, we'll talk about that too, but living out in the woods, I can drop there in two seconds. There's no, I shut off the electricity, there's nothing. When I come in the city, used to be like 30, 40 miles, I would start feeling the energy. Now it's like almost like 60, 70 miles out. That's the amount of electromagnetic frequency. This stuff is literal. So you're up against a lot of things. So again, to answer your questions of 10 minutes versus 20, try the other 23 hours and 50 minutes. Like that's the 10 minutes of sitting. Can you be grounded? We're very anxious. What about uh, flotation and sensory deprivation as compared to mm. seated meditation? Mm. Is it's, there a difference in the uh, like brain waves generated? Oh, yeah. I used to work in this pain clinic where we had all that stuff for chronic pain where nothing would help. We had flotation tanks both with salt and just with sensory deprivation. It's incredible. The question is how much access you have to it. To me, the gift of those things is train yourself. You think you're really not an anxious person? Go hang out in a flotation tank in the dark without music for an hour. Shit yourself and then realize how anxious you really are. <laughs> that stuff is amazing for training. The other thing that's amazing about the salt version of that tank, you know, these tanks, are you familiar with what he's talking about? They're like big bathtubs. They, the wet ones, they basically dissolve a large amount of salt, so you actually float in it. And then now it's actually with light. Back in the day, in the 60s, when people dropped acid and did that and had all these freaky experiences, it would be pitch black. One of the things that's amazing about it is you actually realize how much tension you're holding. So when you're laying in that flotation, you actually realize how blocked your body is. You don't even get that sense in a pool or in the ocean, so that's amazing about it. I have one. So I've floated thousands of times. Do it. But um, I find seated meditation is completely different. Well, well, here's the thing. Your spine is not straight in that position. There's something about the way the neck actually floats. So that actually, in my experience, creates a blockage. That's very hard. The, the, the spine thing is really huge. No matter how advanced you are, there's a reason all these cultures talk about the spine. Because a part of this thing is just mechanics. Right? You can't be a great fighter this way or a great asana. It's just not going to work. The second you align it, that's one thing about it. But the other thing with the flotation tank is that, in my experience of doing it, 
your mind can wander. There's something about that posture. It's very hard to keep focus. It's and more it, of a dream or a rim. Beautiful. It is. It's actually, you don't go into alpha, you go theta, delta. You go into that realm. But it is amazing. Anything that can take you out of, what are we doing? We're trying to soften the idea of self. Right? We're, the whole basis of whole martial arts, yoga, meditation is to soften the self. Good? So, it's great. I mean, great question. So, we're going to talk about all that. So, this is like, what, our fifth, sixth, seventh talk? And every year I bring something really like death, dying, anxiety. Last year was like living with anxiety. Before it was like death and dying. And this year we're talking about... Barbara had asked me, can he talk about groundlessness? So, first and foremost, the intention of talking about these things isn't to be morbid. Right? I feel like Uncle Fester. I'm like that uncle that comes to Christmas and has a couple of drinks, and then people are like, Daddy, Uncle Fester's really weird. He's talking about death and dying. That's not the intent. But I can tell you, as someone who's been a clinician for 30 years, this is the stuff that's running all of us. The absolute pushing down of all these issues that we're talking about. The reason we're on these things 24-7 is because we're anxious all the time. So the cliff note version of tonight is if you can learn to tolerate for this groundlessness bit, grief and anxiety, you're golden. But not many people can treat in themselves or hold in themselves those two things. Um, the last month, all of a sudden, there's something going on, obviously, planetarily. I have so many emails coming about people asking about grief. And it never really occurred to me how hard it is because my work is sit with grief all the time from when I was a young kid, working with AIDS patients, dying. But it's amazing, in our culture specifically, we have no idea how to deal with grief. We, people actually don't know that grief takes patience and takes time to sit with it, and I'll get into why that is. So, I wrote this thing, Barbara said, hey, can you write a little paragraph? And I was just reading on the way here, I was like, oh my God, this is totally bullshit. Because what did I write? Well, what I had written so was something to the effect of, we're gonna discuss groundlessness born out of egoic slash personal loss. What I really meant to say is that when egoic or personal loss happens, the huge elephant in the room gets revealed which is it's always groundless. The whole fact that we're running around all the time is we actually want some ground. It's really scary. Right? Nisargadatta Maharaj, the guy who wrote I Am That, he used to always talk about the spiritual path is for the brave, lion heart. It's not the way we think it is. It's so scary because everything that us, including your spiritual seeking, is to give you the fallacy of ground. Right? So it's kind of simple. Like, everyone wants enlightenment. Enlightenment, if you just sit down, go behind, I am, there it is. Why is it so difficult to do that? Because everything in your life says you're nothing unless I am. So this groundlessness bit, we pay lip service to it. That's why it's so hard to have a meditation practice. Because you're groundless. You become in touch with how groundless this whole thing is. So everything we do is to give ground, the way I dress, the way I cut my hair, my friends, my hobbies. This is not about being a monk. It's about live your life without attachment. With me so far? Have I brought you down already? 
Does the groundlessness bit make sense? You all have this solid idea of you're this person, right? Something can happen very drastic when you go home tonight. Your apartment can burn down. It'll be very groundless. It's illusion because you go into that thing, put that key in, open it. It's been like that for a month, a year, two years. Once it burns down, you realize how groundless it is. It gets a little heavier. You go home, your partner, your dog, something happens there. Groundless. Go a little bit deeper. Something happens with your health. Health. Groundless. This whole thing is groundless all the time. We, we do agree on that. It's not pleasant, but you do understand what I'm saying to you. Yes? Yes. Do, how often do you ponder that? And what do you do with it? Beautiful. So that's the thing. Did you hear what you said? So first of all, part of the spiritual path is to be in what she's saying. It's not pleasant, right? We're not after pleasantries here. But the spiritual path is to realize that you're between two shores. Not this, not that. The whole netty-netty thing. The four negations. Not this, not that, neither either, neither both. So she's saying that it's uncomfortable, but she's between two shores. So the first thing is to just have acceptance of that. Is not to do that whole nihilistic thing. From my experience, it doesn't really work. I don't want to be here. I'm never going to have any friends. I don't want a lover. Not that. And not get lost in the sensory world without connection with, it, with that part of it. Make sense? So what do you do with the anxiety that comes out of that? Um, well, <laughs> mm. meditation Great. is a huge... Any, uh, to, to, to find a sense of Beautiful. So it's acceptance of it. It's not trying to get rid of it. Right? I believe antidepressants are amazing, can be very helpful. For a minority of people... Over 10% of our, our culture, not just a lot more, more in Finland and Sweden and Iceland, we're an antidepressant. Why? Because we can't tolerate it. Not because there's something wrong with us. There, there's definitely a percentage of the population that needs to be on meds because chemically they're off balance. But for a lot of us, it's not taught to us. You just have to learn to live with it. Tolerate. That's the key word. It's not to make it go away. Obviously, certain practices will help that. Obviously, certain foods will make that worse or make it better. But it's learning how to tolerate it. But a part of that is also grief. So the thing about this groundlessness stuff is grief, like learning how to tolerate grief. And it's all about this idea of who you are. I love this about our country, this country. I want to thank Jesus for winning the Super Bowl. I want to thank Jesus for this Oscar. I want to thank Jesus. You're like... I want to thank Jesus as I came home, my wife was sucking someone else. I want to thank Jesus that my house burned down. We don't function like that because we have taken everything as a way of aggrandizing the ego. I'm going to take my homemade deity. Anytime it feeds what my ego wants, I'm going to thank Jesus for it. The gift of spirit is that it slaps you upside your head. So this thing of groundlessness, if you're lucky... Life will hit you really hard because nobody wants to be groundless by volition. That's, you're full of it if you tell me you do. 
Anybody here want to get heartbroken? Apartment burn? Cancer? Yes? No? No way. So part of our practice is to learn to be groundless in little bits. So if it happens, which it will at some point, either it comes in gradual doses or it gets all of a sudden at your deathbed, you learn how to make friends with it. With me on that? So it happens if you can soften your ego. The first thing is, it's very interesting, right? So I had this arson two guys, they burned my house down and my garage. My garage is my temple. I've been racing since I was 10 years old, 52-year-old guy, 40 years of racing stuff in there. Really traumatic. I walk in, I'm just like, holy shit. Everything is perfect. I can go there. What was amazing was what was coming out of people's mouths. And what people say in times of trauma of somebody else is all about them is very rarely that people are centered enough in that moment to actually talk about you, actually talking about themselves. This is our fear of groundlessness. Oh, it's only money. Like, oh, really? No, it's not. It's 40 years of my life, dude. It's not only money. Oh, well, it's probably for the best. Why do people say this stuff? Actually, both those things are true. It's just money. It is for the best. But why do people say that? Because they can't tolerate it. I'm just like, wow, that's really sad. Let's learn how to tolerate this grief. It's a very common thing. When people say this stuff about people with cancer, it's just fucking material shit. I have patients that come in crying. They go like, you know, my best friend said to me, hey, man, it's cancer. It's for the best. Like, are you that deity that can actually have that vision to make that judgment on someone's life? They're not assholes. They're saying that because they're so frightened. So this is the fear part of this whole thing, learning how to tolerate fear. We talked about this, for those of you who were here, like many, many sessions ago. I find a very helpful practice with the groundlessness thing to actually lay down once in a while and practice like you're dying. Sounds very morbid. It actually makes things taste very fresh. So you literally lay there. You just had a stroke. You just got shot. You have cancer. You're in a hospital. What does that feel like? It puts everything in sort of more of a perspective in our culture. And remember, the whole heroic thing that we do in our culture, whether you're on a spiritual path, you're a healer, you're a father, you're a mother, you're an artist, is to push that anxiety of dying away. That's what it's based on. I'm not saying you got to sit around and do anything. Be aware of what's making you tick. So in my experience of observing people, everything is because we're so scared of that. So we get in touch with these things so we can actually have more joy. Not to be like Debbie Downer, like, oh, yeah, we're all going to die. But it's amazing how not alive we are to things. That's the gift of these horrible things happening. Make sense? with me questions so far such a great so it's a great point so this thing that we actually all have of the fear of actually it being bottomless that you're going to get into this pool of grief and you're just going to drown in it it actually has a bottom so there's two ways to do that either you spend a little bit of time every day when the grief comes you don't run up and do something like let's say you wake up in the morning you don't feel like meditating but you kind of feel something sit for two seconds and figure out what that something is 
And usually it's either anxiety or grief. It's one of these feelings. If it's joy, it's really not an issue. You know, some people wake up full of joy. I never was that guy. But some people are like, you know, and you're like, they wake up, they're like, yes. I'm like, wow, I want some of that. Wasn't my experience. It's not my experience of a lot of people around me. Sit for that couple of seconds and see what that is. It definitely will come knocking on your door harder. And there's something happening on the planet that is actually beckoning us to feel this. Right? So the outside and inside are the same from my perspective, from a shamanic perspective. When it's like 50 degrees difference in a matter of three, four days, that's affecting your psyche. Is it that your psyche is that? That's your psyche. We won't even get into that whole acid conversation. But it's affecting you. There's no way that that kind of thing can affect you. Sit with it and see what's going on inside. What is it telling you? The gift of these things, these events, is a softening of the ego. Because the body might just like, you know, you're like, just like right now walking. I mean, like 20 below zero upstate, like five days you're just like, what? It softens something in you. Start sitting with yourself on that level. This sitting is different than meditation. It's amazing how you can meditate and numb these feelings. Are, are you with me on that one? Meditation can actually be used, it is for many of us, as a way of actually numbing these feelings of pain and anxiety and freaked outness. I've treated people who've had like psychotic breaks where they were like heavy meditators. And they were, they were just a distance between the emotional life and this mental life. This is usually third eye type meditations are very strong. The emotions are going to get your attention. They're going to knock on a door. So when you have ecosystems dying like they are now, like the big animals and this and that, that's, our, that's us. That's because we're not paying attention. It's not just pollution, which it is. But why, is that hap- why are we happening? Why is that stuff happening? It's because there's disconnect on that level. Now, questions on that? So this term, invest in loss, which is sort of what I was talking about today, the name of the um, talk. Taiji, Taiji Chuan, you guys seen the old Chinese people do that little nice little martial art that kind of like, mm, it looks really soft and sweet. That's a very wicked fighting art. It looks very nice. To learn how to use it for fighting, it's an internal martial art. Most martial arts that we know in this country are external, meaning you put your will on top of somebody else. Things like Aikido and Tai Chi, Judo and Jiu-Jitsu to a lesser degree, they actually work on listening to other people's energies. Now, in Tai Chi Chuan, there was a guy named Chen Man Ching. He sort of was, what do they call him? He was a professor, master of the five excellences. He was, he was like kind of Confucian cat. He was like poetry, calligraphy, painting, Chinese medicine, and Tai Chi Chuan. He's the guy who brought the Tai Chi that you see everybody doing. He's like the main proponent of that. He brought it here in like 65 from Taiwan. So Professor Cheng, very smart to the American mind, had this term. He said you have to invest in loss. Now that seems like paradox, like some kind of Zen practice. It's not the U.S. foreign policy, although it sounds like that. When you, when you learn to form in Taiji Chuan, to learn to fight with it, there's a very simple exercise that you do, which is very slow, where somebody pushes you, and you're supposed to feel them pushing you, and you very gently get out of the way and then push them back. For me, when I got into it, I was already an external fighter. As an external fighter, it's very hard to let somebody push you because everything in your training is just to pummel them the second they get to a certain level. It's this fear thing you have to push through, and they do it very slowly because otherwise it won't happen. So your body can learn to getting pushed, 
And over the period of time, but over a period of a long time, you can actually get pushed, not fall over, and then push back. His whole thing with the Americans was like, you guys don't know how to get pushed. To learn this freaking thing, you got to get pushed. So he kept saying, you need to invest in loss. So the guy comes and he pushes you. You're like, you want to push back? No. It takes a lot of time and experience to let the fear go of getting pushed. In your life, look at where you need to invest in loss. It can be your house burning down. It can be getting fired from your job. It can be a relationship dying down. Observe it. And just like the martial art, your first reaction is going to want to be pushed back. I hate this person. I hate these people. The amazing thing with my house was like people were right away going like, you might want to kill those guys. I was like, no. Not in some great Buddhist. I love my house. I love my stuff. It's really sad to be broken. It's like some 20-year-old kid's going to go to jail for 15 years. What the fuck is that? Kid's like mentally unstable. I want some kid to go get raped every day? No, that's not my idea of like vengeance. Crazy. But why are people saying that? Are they assholes? No, because they cannot feel helplessness. So everybody in here, where are you helpless in your life? No one's going to go to be helpless unless life grabs you by the ear and shoves your nose in it. I mean, that's, that's a given, correct? If you're honest, yes? You're looking at me like you really love helplessness. Anybody in here works on being helpless? The problem is, as a clinician hat now, I watch people who get really sick really quickly out of nowhere. Unless you've been practicing your helplessness in some mode, it's very devastating. Because certainly nobody around you is going to be able to help you. Because everybody else is working on not being helpless. And if health or misfortune doesn't hit you, old age will certainly come visiting you. I always talk about this, right? You live in a culture that unless you get cremated, they're going to take your corpse, they're going to put makeup on it, stick it in a suit or a dress. What does that say to you? That's all you need to know. That, that's what you're surrounded by. So, when something happens, this groundlessness bit, the meditation helps you realize it. The immediate thing is, why is this happening to me? That's usually the first step. Sort of like the Kubler-Ross thing. That's been my experience with people. Right? It was, why is this happening to me? Then you can kind of relax and be like, why is this happening? So once you get the me part of why is this happening? Then it's, this is happening. And lastly, it's like life is unfolding. Now we can sit here and argue or discuss or lovingly say, hey, you know, your garage burned because that was time to let that stuff go. Your garage burned because you're Iranian, you live next to a bunch of rednecks. Your garage burned, whatever the reason is. That's secondary. Right, Viktor Frankl was a gentleman who survived the Nazi concentration camps. He came up with logotherapy. Great book to read. And his whole thing was the human mind can survive anything if it has a meaning. A meaning. Sort of Nietzsche thing, right? If you have a meaning to something, you can survive it. So sometimes we need that meaning. Most people's comments to me was trying to understand some heinous acts by giving a meaning for themselves. Oh, is it karma? Oh, you're supposed to burn away. But that's small. Go big. Go big into radical acceptance. Radical acceptance takes big ovaries, takes big balls, takes a lot of courage. Which goes back to Nisargadatta saying, the spiritual path is not for the meek. I remember reading that 
but not really understanding it because it was in my 20s and I'm like, well, yeah, I get it. He's saying something, but why is it for the brave? It's not brave the way we think brave. It's brave in terms of just total surrender. So when you're meditating, check with yourself. Are you softening? Do you come out of it more soft or do you get more your internal stylist or heart stylist? Heart style is cool, but it doesn't last long. 30s, 40s, 50s, arthritis. I was in my like mid-20s, late-20s. I was a pretty tough fighter. And I had this Tai Chi teacher, William Chen, who was this guy, Chen Man Ching's teacher, uh, student. And he wiped the floor with me. He was like in his 60s. I was a fit motherfucker. He wiped the floor with me. I was like, wow, a 60-year-old guy just kicked my ass. But I mean like, boom, boom, boom. That's softness. And the interesting thing was he was laughing the whole time. So part of the beauty of the surrender thing is you're actually a lot lighter because you're not afraid. Most heart stylists, you're afraid. You look scary. You're afraid. You're scary because you're afraid. Whereas this stuff, you're just a giggly old man, 70 years old. <laughs> so that's what we want. And as New Yorkers, we all have this hard little, we're New Yorkers, man. Come on. Soften that. Before life softens it for you. So, one of the things that I'm seeing a lot now in my own life and everyone's life, we're being forced to let stuff go that doesn't work. And some of this stuff is incarnational without getting too out there. I don't like using this language, but it seems to be incarnational. These are deep habits that this body mind has been carrying. That stuff never goes gently. So it might be that you become a mother or a father or you get a dog that shits on everything. Your boss is crazy. It can be wonderful things. It'll soften you. So the thing, to your point, the more you can soften, easier it will be. You don't have to get rid of the anxiety. This is a big, big misnomer. This is the problem with these medications. You have to learn to tolerate it. The word tolerate doesn't really exist in our parlance. We don't really understand what that means. It's the same with the grief. You were asking a question about the throat, about meditation. The throat tightens to two things, grief and anger. And the anger isn't always just because you're angry at something. From a Chinese medical perspective, sometimes your liver gets tight, quote-unquote, because you're just running around too much. You're not breathing at all. The dietary stuff, the fried foods. But it's really emotional. Because you can pretty much eat rocks if you're... It's all connected, right? It's amazing on that level. All these eating disorders that we all have. I mean, I myself, I observe myself as a martial artist, every yogi. We have eating disorders big in our culture. Juicing under the guise of, like, nutrition. It's like, pff, live, man. We're control freaks. Why are we control freaks? Because we're anxious, because we're scared. A lot of the belief systems, actually not all the belief systems that we have, and all the worrying, you know how we will worry? is a way of not dealing with the groundlessness. So belief systems in general, this is the way it is, I believe this, I'm a Democrat, Republican, is a way of actually trying to give yourself some ground. That's fine, just be aware that's what you're doing. The dying thing is really great because you can really see how precious this whole thing is. We take it for granted, it just goes so quick. Those of you who are like, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, you go like, shit, yep. But even you don't believe it. I treat people in their 80s who are just talking about getting married again, and it's, it's beautiful. But there is a level of denial in like not realizing the gig is coming up. I mean, do not underestimate this wonderful gift that you were given, which is your denial. 
the defense mechanism against dying, this denial, is the denial of the fact that this is not ground. So all these sort of expeditions as astronauts to these ethers is just to make life more joyous, more juicy, so you don't phone it in. Because we all phone it in. A lot of us phone it in. And you're not always going to be like, hey, it's great to be alive today. But it doesn't have to be this droning thing too. So what I ask myself is I'm going to die in a week or a month or a year. Would I be doing everything I'm doing? And this is not some great throw thing to the wind unless you're independently wealthy. You're going to have to have some shit job sometimes and some great job sometimes. But would you be doing what you're doing? Because so often when I'm sitting with dying people, they haven't really examined this groundlessness that we're talking about. It kind of comes out of nowhere. And our culture, because we're so dissociated from death. When I live in Africa, when I live in Asia as a kid, you know, you're just walking to school and they take a water buffalo and chop its head off. Like, death is all around you. It's part of life. Here, you know, our version of the meat is like some packaged styrofoam thing that looks like this. We, we, we're totally out of the cycle. Which is why it's such a rude shock when these things don't go the way we want it to go. We're very disconnected that way. Questions? Yes. I'm going to start here and I'll come back to you. To, to, to deal, to be in groundlessness, mm-hmm. is there a way? I, mean, I think traditionally, we, probably everyone in this room has learned to be, stay grounded. Mm-hmm. But is there a fine line between staying grounded and going with that groundlessness? It's a great question. I mean, to me, groundlessness is the ultimate grounding. It's, when I'm saying groundless, I'm not saying don't be here. Part of the reason we're not ground these are using two words that mean different things but are the same word. The reason we're not grounded, we're up here all the time, is because we're afraid of the fact that this is groundless. The reason you're in your thoughts all the time, right? Like you're all aware that very, at most, people will not be in their body. I, actually, I watch people do martial arts practice or asanas, they're not in their body. The reason we're not grounded is because we're so anxious, because unconsciously we know this is, un- this is groundless. The mind is the first way. The first way to dissociate from reality is thinking. Before food, before drugs, before sex. The first way kids disconnect from their physical body when it's not comfortable to be here is to go into their head when they have that faculty. So the thing that I always talk about is feel your body. Feeling your body actually allows, makes room for groundlessness. Because like, oh, I'm a little anxious. Here's an amazing thing about anxiety, by the way. If you sit with it, it immediately starts dissolving. The reason it gets so loud is because you're pushing it. Unless you've got some serious chemical imbalance, which some people do. That's rare. Besides the sugar and the caffeine and all the crap that we put in ourselves, we go, why, why am I anxious today? It's like, well, the nine cups of coffee could have something to do with it. Or chai. Um, feel your body. That really makes room for the groundlessness. That's why we're not in here. That's why we're not embodied. Answer your question? That's such a great, I mean, just, yeah, wonderful. So you heard what she said. Sometimes when she thinks about her family dying, she feels more grateful for them. 
And then sometimes she actually gets anxious because they're not taking care of themselves, this and that. You know, one of the profound things for me becoming a healer and then being a healer and then learning because I came into it as an addict, as a drug addict, so was codependence. And it was years later I realized, holy shit, I'm not a heroin addict, I'm codependent. That's why I was using the heroin because I'm codependent. So one thing I would say to you, because your words speak to me of codependence, is to realize that the biggest gift you can have, one of the things about dealing with your own fear, is you actually give people the gift of accepting them exactly as they are. And that's the only time that they can actually change. But remember, we're really not these bodies on a truest level. You have to let people, some people want to go watch porn, some people want to go watch a scary movie, some people want to watch Fellini. Just because the person is high art into Fellini doesn't mean the porn person is a bad person. That's their experience. Till they burn out, they'll watch Fellini. So we have this thing, like, unless the person is doing yoga, why are they eating burgers or destroying the planet, they got diabetes. To love yourself and accept yourself, going back to groundlessness and anxiety, you can actually accept people on that level. We have this thing, we want to make people like us, right? Like, man, if you just do a little bit of yoga, I don't have to hear you talk about back pain three times a day. That's their joy. People love their pain. It's one thing that's really mind-blowing to me as a healer is just like I've had to make peace with the fact that people love their pain. Sometimes they need a witness to their pain, and that's about as far as it's going to go. I have to be okay with it. Not okay with it. Not okay with it. Not okay with it. It's like, hey, I love you, man. I, I, you're the same as me. You are self. I am self. I have my shit because I'm divided self. You have your shit because you're divided self. Ultimately, when this body-mind drops in some incarnation, when all that everything is burned off, it's back into the absolute. Great, great point. So, we have to make a distinction between feelings and emotions. Feeling is what we do. So, what you're talking about is feelings. I, I, and a lot, and that's a great point. For me, I had to learn joy. I had a very painful childhood. A lot of people in here have. They can get stuck in the grief. But feelings and emotions are different. Emotions are the gateway to the soul. Emotions is what bubbles from the inside out. You can't control that. If you've sat with the grief that's emotions, by feeling it, it dissolves. Three things we do with emotions. Act them out, repress them, that's America. Feel them, not our culture. Not many cultures, but we don't feel them. The blues is actually being joyous in the grief. Actual blues, when you see someone who's in pain and actually makes art out of it, that's actually a way of emoting. That's feeling it. Very rare. You're talking about feeling. Absolutely, grief can be something we hide under as a lot of things that we hide under. So then joy practice would be really great. For me, it's not about grief practice or joy practice. For me, it's about where the hell am I at? Before I try to manipulate it, because I've tried manipulating it by drugs, by this, by that. Joy practice, I hear what you're saying, just my personal thing is that can be tricky too because it's manipulation. I first want to see where am I at? Oh, you got grief because you didn't deal with this and this and this. Deal with it. Joy actually comes in. And my experience, joy and happiness, the joy that I feel personally is peace. 
Like, for me, this body mind was never this guy. It can be this guy in moments of racing or fighting, but for short duration, I was just never this guy. I don't want to be this guy. So it's sort of like when a peace comes and you go like, wow, that's actually joy. But our culture that's used to six sugars and coffee, that's six sugars and coffee, that's what we think joy is. We don't really know what joy is because we've never quietened down the body mind enough to see what it is. So that thing is like, by all means. I think for me, that's a dying thing. It's not like people think, oh, you're such a bummer. It's like, no. If I think I'm dying, I go out here, I'm like, wow, these beautiful people, I want to know everyone, connect, and go to have a nice dinner. That's joy. But I find in our culture, especially in New Agey stuff, we manipulate it too much. Because again, we're scared. It's not, you're, you're speaking from a very mature place. That's not my experience for most people. When you can look them in the eye and say to me, hey, I feel the grief, I believe you. But most people aren't like that. They're like, yeah, I feel the grief, and now I'm going to do joy practice. They're not dropped in. So by all means, I think for a lot of us who come to spirituality, we come to it out of pain. I always say this to you. I don't meet a lot of people like, fucking life's great. Let me go do six hours of asana. I'm going to do 10-day sets. No. We come to it just like, man, it's so painful. I just give me some relief. Like, really? This is all it is? And you go, 9 to 5. Man. So we have to check that. I mean, I'm sure you all have some friends who are just like mindlessly happy and it pisses you off to no end because you do all this practice and they're just like, hey, it's great. Did you see the deep? You know? Wonderful. There's not depth there, though. That's the difference. Don't feed it. What? Don't feed it. Don't feed it. Don't feed it. So, yeah, that becomes your issue. So, here's the thing about codependence. When people do that trip, she's talking about somebody who's in a lot of pain and comes around and just is kind of go, blah, blah, blah. We feed it. You have to be very conscious. When you do the kind of work you're all doing as yogis, meditators, your energy is actually strong. You have to disperse it very consciously. If I'm a millionaire, and I have $10,000. As a millionaire, I can really fuck people up. Guy's got a 10 grand. I can be like, yeah, man, here's like 100 bucks. Buy a ticket to Buffalo. Not going to change their life. Here's a ticket around the world, first class. You can really throw someone's life out who's not ready for that. As you get a well of energy, you have to be very conscious how you spend it. We confuse idiot compassion for compassion. If I sit there and my friend's going, oh, pain for the 100th time, that's idiot compassion. That's not compassion. If you love them, you accept them as they are and you step back. Radical love. Because what happens with that kind of thing is we actually, what we profess as radical love, I don't see a lot of radical love. Radical love is harsh. Radical love is like, bullshit, man. I love you. Like, what if you would talk about this for a hundredth time? So then you work on yourself. So you work on yourself. You can sit there and just be a great practice. Don't talk about it. Don't say anything. Don't try to feed it. Don't negate it. That'll be your practice. Or you go like, you know, I need a little time out. One of the things, so it's great to, to this point, um, I was talking to someone about this. Potential and reality. We all have potential, and some of us are living it, some of us will be maybe living it. One thing I'm seeing is unless people are really starting to tap into their potential, it's not going to happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, I might have a potential to be a runner. Unless I'm jogging every day, it's very unlikely in this point in history I'm going to start running. Don't confuse potential with reality. In your life and other people's lives. It's wake-up time. This is real. 
There's a reason every culture has talked about this time. It's not going to be some blonde rock star coming down named Jesus Christ manifesting. Oh, that'd be cool. I'd like to see that show. <laughs> but it's really about where are you holding back? Where is your potential you're not manifesting? By sitting down and listening to someone who's talking about their pain all the time, you're not helping them. And you're a drug dealer. Because you actually have clean energy that you're feeding into a toxic, dysfunctional, disconnected energy. So the gift there is, you know, you can't fix them. Love them. Step back. Another trick, by the way, cheating. Call them on a soul level and talk to them. I do this all the time. People that I love who are just totally self-destructive. I go into meditation. I meditate. I'll call them on a soul level. I'm just like, I love you. It's really crazy. I hope you look at this. You'd be amazed what shifts. You'd be amazed what shifts. Because really, there is no distance. This is part of the joke of like, oh, this is Abdi, this is John. This is it's like, it's really connected. So you're not as powerless as you realize. But check yourself. Why are you feeling like you need to sit there and listen to someone who said the same thing to you for the 10th time? That's your stuff. You can't lay it on them. Potential and reality is a big thing, as I'm saying now. Questions? Yes? It's in us. So I have potential to have long hair. But if I'm shaving my head every day, I'll never have your hair. Okay. So potential is there for me to have hair. It's inside of me. But if every day I'm shaving it, it's not going to happen. So with a lot of people, they're living under the potential. Like, oh, one day I'm going to have hair. I'm so cold every day, and they talk about it. It's so freezing. But then I shave my head. That's what I mean by potential. I see that with a lot of people right now. They're stuck in that mode. Questions? I see people are starting to fade. Yes? I, I guess in terms of the, um, the shore-to-shore analogy. Yes. And I think, you know, at my, you know, my exposure to yoga and understanding of philosophy or whatever else, I, I, I feel like at this stage in my life I'm aware that I have approached all of that as the same sort of cerebral character that walks in this world and does all the stuff that I do. And I, and I, you know, I think that idea of sort of sitting with feelings or it's a much more abstract mm -hmm. concept than mm -hmm. and I think you know I've been taking notes for mm -hmm. like it's it's that, that it's almost the approach on a root level is coming from a place that is the antithesis of what we're talking about. Well what should I do or how you know kind of but that's, but that's not true because you have to have some direction and you have to put the direction into it. The direction is in the material realm. The practice is in the emotional realm. So the direction, you know, words are lies, but we need them because they're direction. So don't confuse the stick with the moon as a Zen. Exactly. But you still need to be pointed to the moon. It's sure. I, I think that perhaps the, um, the thing that I'm sort of aware of in myself is, is finding the balance so that it's not all about Words, Beautiful. Not, Absolutely. I, I realize that it's a, the approach is my same as my regular approach to life. So even though I can be really in my practice, go into feelings. Different. Well, it's very different. I would say to you go into feelings and emotions. Figure out what are feelings, what are emotions. What are you feeling? But feelings is an internal thing. Like, you know, for a lot of people that I sit with, they talk. I, I ask people very common when they come into my office, how are you feeling? Good. How are you feeling? Good. By the third time, they'll tell me how they're feeling. 
Because we don't know what we're feeling. It's not, we're not assholes. We just actually don't know. So I would say to you, get out of the head and feel like, what am I feeling today? Is it anxious? Is it, it word, name them. I don't even know. Like you're saying, shore to shore. It's like something between this and that. Check it. It's like, I had a weird dream. That's right, I remember. That's because I had that dream. What would that dream remind me of? Oh, it reminded me of like when I was like a child. The feelings are the gateway to, the emotions are the gateway to the soul, not the feelings. But get inside. Like, as you say beautifully, it is because we're so cerebral. Why are we cerebral? Because we're so anxious. That was the first drug that we picked up. And intuitively, we all know that the game is up, that it's groundless. But it actually makes it much more juicy and delicious. It's not some, like, bummer thing. It's like, wow, it's so temporal. It's amazing. And you still got to wake up at 6 in the morning and stand next to a smelly person in the subway and, and all that. It doesn't all of a sudden make it go away. But it kind of puts a little bit of a pep in your step. Last questions? Last call for alcohol? Good? Let's sit a couple of minutes and close it up. Keep your tongue on the roof of your mouth. Feel your hands, feel your feet. our guides and teachers from the unseen realms intending for a full awakening of our energies intending to remember fully who we are beyond I am intending to be absorbed into it intending to feel Intending for joy and lightness for ourselves, our sisters and brothers. The animals, the four-legged ones. The birds, the winged ones. The trees, the standing people. The fish. Intending to let go of all that does not serve us. Bring in all that does. And having the courage to both release and accept. And as we ask, so it shall be and so it is. Amen.